A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to British Indie Film Club, a new limited podcast series brought to you by Biffa and Little White Lies magazine, where we meet some of the most exciting voices from the British independent film world. I'm Leila Latif. And I'm Karis Aldridge. And today we're going to be speaking to writer-director Nida Manzor about her kick-ass coming-of-age comedy, Polite Society, and finding out about the two of her favourite all-time British films. But first... Here's a little taste of what we have in store for you on the show over the next few months. Each episode, we will be meeting a talented actor or director to find out how they got their break in film and what they love most about their profession and what they're working on right now. To celebrate Biffa's 25th birthday, we'll also be asking our guests to pick a film from the Biffa archives to discuss, either a cult classic or a contemporary gem from the past 25 years. For those of you who are regular listeners of Truth and Movies, you may recognise me. I'm a film critic, broadcaster and columnist. And I'm Karis. I'm a film sales exec and a podcast host. Over the last seven years, I've worked across film sales, marketing and distribution on UK independent films. And I've also participated in the Creative England producing course, which supports up and coming UK producers. And I'd highly recommend to any producers who want to do something like that. Well, you've just inspired my next career change. (laughs) Do it, do it. Well, I mean, you this week got to speak to Nida and I absolutely adored her film and I loved her ever since she was kind of making TV shows. She's such an exciting talent. Um, But could you kind of set up for the uninitiated who Nida is? Yes. Oh my gosh, I was so excited to speak to Nida. I'd seen interviews of her and she's just like such a fun person. But yeah, she's doing a bunch of stuff at the moment. I mean, she did direct a couple of episodes of Doctor Who, which is pretty fun. And she also wrote, directed and created We Are Lady Parts, which is on Channel 4 in the UK. It's on Peacock in the US. And this is adapted from her short film, Lady Parts. And We Are Lady Parts follows an all-woman Muslim punk rock band. And it's really interesting the way that it kind of all came about. She kind of talks about the fact that it was written out of this frustration. She was pitching a bunch of shows to a bunch of production companies and just felt very frustrated that all they wanted to hear from her or the voice that they wanted her to bring was this very reductive, almost harrowing image of what a Muslim woman is, you know, supposed to be in in UK. And she felt really frustrated at that. And that's where We Are Lady Parts came in. And it's this really fun, just very cool series. It's, yeah, it's been a bit of a cult classic already. So that's really exciting. And then this is her debut Her feature debut, Polite Society, it premiered in Sundance earlier this year. And it's the story of these two sisters who are living in Shepherd's Bush in London. There's Rhea. She is a wannabe stunt woman who is just like living her 
best life is, you know, going to school with her friends and her older sister, Lena, who has recently dropped out of art school. And they're, you know, these really tight knit sisters and this tight knit family. And that all seems to be kind of jeopardized when she meets a man. And this man becomes her fiance. And it's all about kind of the breaking of a sisterhood bond. And it's done in just such a fun, exciting, fresh and original way. So yeah, Nida gets into all of that in this discussion. And I'm excited for you to hear. It really is just like nothing I've ever seen before. And I say that as somebody whose entire personality is watching a ton of films. But yeah, this really (laughs) feels like revolutionary. It's so fun. It's so funny. I don't want to give it anything away. But like, the villain who emerges is just like one of the most exciting screen villains I've seen for a really long time. I love it. It's so good. And, but she does seem to be like a very, you know, there's an optimistic feeling, I think, with it, with British independent film at the moment, because, you know, how well After Sun did. Blue Jean did really well. And then just at Sundance itself, there was Rye Lane that was so lovely. You know, there was, you know, Polite Society, of course. And I think some of the big awards went to um, Charlotte Reagan's Scrapper, which I also thought was absolutely excellent. You know, the, you know they're all British, they're all independent, and they're all kind of female filmmakers making these incredible debuts. It's honestly, it's it's so great to see. And I think it's really inspiring for upcoming filmmakers as well to see that, see that career trajectory um, and to see them recognised as well. Because Sundance is incredibly hard. The amount of submissions to the amount of films that actually get picked is, you know, the smallest fraction. So to see so much kind of British talent um, being recognised is, is amazing. And, you know, as much as we do say that this is kind of a time to be hopeful, there are some also rather unsettling things happening from across the pond. But with the writer's strike, we may have an AI written dystopia ahead of us with all these wonderful writers being replaced by machines. Yeah. Our Netflix overlords have a, have a lot to pay for it in some regards, <laughs> I think. Damn you, Netflix. Yeah, totally. We're recording this on, what, the 4th or 5th of May? And it's been two days since the writer's strike. And it's weird. Like, I I mean, yeah, I remember it. I was quite young. But I remember the last strike because it was in 2007. And for, really strangely, the one thing that I remember the most is the show Lost. <laughs> Because if you remember, the idea of the writer's strike, I mean, obviously, it had a huge impact. It impacted the industry. I think they lost $2.1 billion. They striked for 100 days. It was a, a big, big deal. And yeah, a bunch of shows either cut their seasons short or just had really noticeably terrible writing. And I feel like everyone kind of remembers that time, even if they weren't part of those industry discussions. You just remember like wondering what was going on, because obviously it was a very different landscape to what it is now. But it's a very big deal and not something to be taken lightly. It's really unfair that writers are apparently half of writers are on minimum wage. And yeah, it's it's a pretty dire landscape at the moment. So it'll be interesting to see how it all turns out. But yeah, are you a fan of talk shows? Because I know all the talk shows are kaput. I'm not that big a fan of talk shows, I must say. Some of them have some of the kind of interviews that you see on them you're just like I can't believe anyone wrote this (laughs) maybe AI should be given a go 
But I do really worry about the the impact that this is going to have on cinema and on like quality television, because I think a lot of the rise of reality TV was directly, you know, happened because of the 2007 strike. Just the fact that we need to make stuff without writers, without people being compensated. And as much as I, I don't mind the odd bit of trashy reality TV, that world also really exploits a lot of its subjects. So... So hopefully we can, the success of things like polite society are going to make people realize that actually if you give people their voices to make fresh and interesting material, wonderful things happen. Yeah, 100%. And I also do think that we are in an age where every studio, every streamer is just scrambling for original IP. And we're in the era of franchises and remakes. And having the opportunity to watch something like Polite Society is so unbelievably refreshing for the fact that it is a completely original idea. And it's sad to say that that's not seen on screen that much anymore. So yeah, Nita should definitely be celebrated for that. Yeah, I just I so enjoy a film ending and knowing that I don't have to then sit through three more mid credit sequences setting this up <laughs> to the wider world and selling trying to sell kids a load of merch. But yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely agreed. <laughs> oh, and very jealous. I mean, such a talented director and you got to meet her IRL. No zooming for you. You got to go and do the glamorous in person interview that is sadly too rare. So exciting. I know. I did. I got to travel to Soho. I was in Soho Hotel. It's gorgeous. She was as delightful and smiley and generous as you think that she would be. And yeah, it was it was a fabulous time, really. I could only wish that I had more time with her. She did give me a hug as well, which I really appreciated when I left. So yeah. Yeah. We, you can't get a hug over Zoom. I mean, this is one of my bigger complaints of like, there's just something that I think, particularly with an interview, like you can just bond so much better with them when you get to do it in person. Oh, totally. Yeah. Zoom, there is a slight lack of intimacy, isn't there? And then when you see someone in person, it's like, ah, oh, there's like a slight sigh of relief a slight like yeah feeling of relaxing but no it was so nice and she was yeah as I said like very very generous with her time I could see them trying to like rush me out of the room and she was like no I wish we could stay and chat for longer and even in that short period of time we were really able to cover quite a lot of stuff actually from her kind of early career and the things that she learned from working on short films to kind of creating this relationship ongoing relationship that she has with Tim Bevan and the working title team to yeah just like kind of her growing as a writer director and understanding the nature of how she enjoys you know composing herself on set and in both capacities and yeah like her influences and everything really so yeah we we really got to dig into a lot of stuff over a very short period of time so yeah it's very lucky oh well yeah i i absolutely love listening to this and uh the listeners enjoy it as much as i did yes enjoy Hey, hello. Hi. <laughs> okay, so Nida, yes. it is amazing. It's honestly such a pleasure to chat to you today for the Biffa podcast yes. about your career and of course your incredible new film, Polite Society. I would be lying if I said that I hadn't already looked up how to become a stunt woman. Since <laughs> <watch>. I love that. <laughs> but I do want to do a very quick kind of career retrospective to how you got to the point that you are at today. So I know sure. that you were a runner mm-hmm. and then a director's assistant mm-hmm. and then you wrote and directed three short films yes and I was wondering in doing so what did it teach you about yourself and like how you like to kind of make films in your own process yeah I mean directing my short films was really where I found my voice and it sort of 
drew me to the kind of tone I wanted to work in. I also learned what sort of director I wanted to be. You know, I didn't go to film school and I'd worked as a runner, as you say, and on some sets. And I'd seen directing that didn't sort of fit right for me um, because I'm quite an introvert. I like kind of quiet on set and sort of thinking space um, and oftentimes I'd seen like quite boisterous directing so getting to make my own work just really helped me learn my own style of directing find what works for me find what works for actors I was working with and crew and yeah again you find your team when you make those first shorts you find the kind of people that you collaborate well with so it's just the best kind of learning ground for a finding yourself as an artist really yeah and yeah. knowing that there's not one single way of doing exactly. it exactly right. yeah, totally and then of course you then directed two episodes of the beloved doctor who yes what was it about that experience that kind of ignited your passion for the genre i really loved directing doctor who because it was just such a step up i'd never worked in sort of the machine of like a big budget television show you know where huge sets were getting built you were kind of planning monsters or big visual effects and I just loved it I loved thinking about what the aliens would look like and the costuming of them and then all you know just creating these insane worlds but like grounding it in character so for me it was such a kind of a joy and I realized that I had a real kind of love of aliens of spaceships of kind of wild genre to tell kind of very grounded human stories and I learned that on Doctor Who and also you know I, I kind of went through a lot of imposter syndrome getting that job because I thought like it was such a big step up for me and I I just really had a lot of self-doubt and doing it and going through it just kind of gave me confidence and gave me confidence that I'm good at this job and yeah getting to work with great actors um, was amazing and you realize that directing a short film is actually not that different to directing an episode of Doctor Who you know the the day-to-day job is the same and it was just kind of remembering that because you get just a big crew who have all this expertise amazing VFX producers who you can bring to and you can bring references to them and they're like yes we can do this alien and we'll do it this way and you know and being kind of able to not to be open about where your knowledge kind of stops of like I don't know how I would achieve this and then have all these amazing professionals tell you exactly how they would do it and and actually not knowing sort of makes people warm to you quicker in a way because they, mm. they bring their knowledge to to the table and that's just like the best kind of collaboration, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, we have to talk about We Are Lady Parts, <laughs> which is your project that you not only created, you wrote it, mm-hmm. you directed it. And the show, it feels so rebellious and punk rock, not just because of the music, obviously, but <laughs> because of the themes that you are exploring. Mm-hmm. And is it true that the actresses, they all play the instruments in the show? Yeah, they? they had to learn. They were in like punk boot camp they were learning guitar my brother was teaching them all how to play their instruments it was like hardcore (laughs) and just for the fans out there Mm -hmm. this could be an exclusive is there going to be a tour is i want it to happen it's like (laughs) getting the actor schedules to align for that kind of thing is like the hard thing but i would so love that so of course let's talk about polite society This is your highly anticipated feature debut and it has already been met with so much praise Mm -hmm. from critics and fans. They're calling it irreverent. Mm -hmm. They are calling it an instant classic. I mean, so many quotable one-liners already. I love when the girls are like scheming (laughs) and they're like, verbiage, verbiage. It's just (laughs) so good. Was it a daunting leap going from TV to film? And, And what are the big differences between the small screen and the big screen? You know, I found it less daunting than I thought I would. Um, I think in part... 
because I had Working Title, who I made my TV show with. And so I had the same producers. I was in the same world. Stepping up to the film, it was, again, like the people I trusted with me. And then also crew-wise, or you know, pretty much all my heads of department were the same, bar a few who I'd worked with on Lady Parts. So it felt like this lovely continuity. It was, like, again, my family in terms of the creatives I work with. So it felt really like a natural progression. And then you just have more toys. You know, you have more fun bits of kit to play with. You have a bit more time. But then again, you always still lean on, you know, I always felt I lent on my kind of short film background, my low budget TV background. You've got to make a day and you don't have enough time and you've got to just like be really kind of, you know, careful and and specific on what you're going to shoot. And it's weird. Even when you're making a studio film, you still have to think on your feet, adjust, adapt. So yeah, it felt like I had a big budget, but at times I was still kind of leaning on that kind of scrappier, gonzo kind of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. lovely continuation. <laughs> um, and this is very much a kind of a genre-bending film. Yes. I have tried to describe it. I hope I do this justice. <laughs> I've said it is a wholly original, fun, frenetic action comedy with a sucker punch of sisterhood sentimentality. Oh, I, I hope that's okay. I love that. Um, you know, it's got elements of Ocean's Eleven, it's Scott Pilgrim, there are elements of sex education. Mm -hmm. Do you remember your original pitch to Working Title? I don't remember it because like you I really struggle to pitch my own film I'm like <laughs> it's this it's that and it's sort of like it's everything I, you know, in the best way it's yeah. everything <laughs> and I remember when I spoke to Tim Bevan about it and he read the script and you know it it was a film that I've been right, had in the background for like 10 years it got passed on by everyone and most people thought it was just too much it was like you're doing too much here whereas Tim Bevan at Working Title was like you should do more like lean into the wackiness and that was the most empowering note I've ever got because most of the time I felt like I was being told to be less me or like can you just just be a little bit more just chill a bit quiet and so I'm so lucky that I got to make it with producers who were like embrace all the genre embrace all the things you love because it became like a film that I look at and I'm like this is exactly how I, I've always wanted it to be So interesting that you say that about kind of feeling that you have to almost suppress yourself because I do also think that is something that comes with being a woman of colour yeah. I get that note a lot all the time mm. um, and yeah this is you know a hybrid genre what do you think it is about you know leaning into a hybrid genre that kind of really lends itself so well to telling a kind of diasporic story? Mm. I think for me, I loved using genre because we're so often left out from all storytelling, but particularly genre storytelling as people of colour. You know, it's sort of like almost not for you. You don't exist in dramas, really, but even less so in a comedy and even less so in an action movie. So I wanted to reclaim those spaces and be like, no, this is for us as well. I'm excited about genre because... It's like a structure people know. And then when you subvert it with the kinds of characters you're using or like flip it on its head, it's a kind of excitement of like, I know this well, but it also feels fresh and new. And I think it's also the kind of films I love. I love genre movies growing up. And they're always the ones that I'm just like most excited about when I feel, you know, they're using a tool like horror or comedy to express something very sort of, you know, poignant. That's that's always been the kinds of movies that have moved and excited me. Mm, yeah, definitely. And you've just mentioned that this film has been over a decade in the making. <laughs> <Yes>. I'm <laughs> sure it has in that way gone through many iterations. Yeah. Are there things that have changed a lot since its inception or are there like what are the craziest bits that have kind of ended up on the cutting room floor? <laughs> it's changed a lot in that, you know, I got to learn how to be a writer mm. in those 10 years. I wrote it like straight out of the gate of uni. I'd not, you know, on like free software, like screenwriting software, just, and it was somebody who loved movies, but still hadn't learned how to write and I hadn't like found, finesse that craft, yeah, finesse yeah. the craft. And so like getting to work on other people's 
TV shows, directing Doctor Who, writing and directing Lady Parts. I just got, I just skilled up. So I was able to harness all the things I loved and just kind of shape it into a film that I think audiences can can relate to, not be just totally bamboozled by. I mean, there's still some bamboozling. I think it's it's wild. In the best way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that was it. You know, I, I felt like I got to really learn in those years. And I feel like at the heart of the story, it is just about sisterhood, isn't yeah. it? Um, and that's obviously something that I hugely resonated oh, with because cool. I have an older sister. She got married last year. Ah. So. <laughs> and you mentioned that you have your own kind of close relationship with your sister. Yeah. Do you see yourself as more of a Rhea or a Lena? It's so weird because I started off as a Rhea when I wrote it because it was so long ago and then I like grew up and I'm like now I like got, I feel like I've had a, a chance to sort of sit in the world of both the sisters just just because I've aged but I definitely see myself more as a Rhea I'm the younger sister I'm fiercely protective of my older sister and you know we used to get into wild fights when we were kids and I remember we were, she hadn't seen the film until like the cast and crew and we we're you know we were watching the fight scenes together the one between the two sisters and it was like both there she was like crying her eyes out because he kind of just yeah. Yeah, it just felt really resonant of like, this is what it's like to to have that sister relationship. Yeah, because obviously it's very heightened, but it is, as you say, so rooted in reality. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that is what sisters are like. They are bustling around yeah. together. <laughs> and Priya and Ritu, who, who played the sisters, they're so enigmatic on screen. Mm. And their sisterly relationship, it does feel really real. I was wondering if you had the opportunity to do a lot of kind of chemistry reads with them, or did you just get really lucky that they were amazing I mean, together? I mean, it was my intention, but I think it turned out that we couldn't quite get them in the same room when I cast Priya because casting Priya came really late in the day because I just couldn't find anyone and so she came in and she just blew us all away and they worked so hard in creating that that chemistry they hung out they rehearsed together like you know that is so much due to their own you know natural talent but also hard work of like cultivating that so I want to talk a little bit about your influences I know this film references a lot there's you know the Jane Austen kind of Northanger Abbey Mm -hmm. feel of it there's some amazing martial arts choreography that feels kind of reminiscent of the Jackie Chan Bruce Lee classics you are embracing the musicality of Bollywood and I know that a lot of people kind of are likening you to Edgar Wright um, for having that kind of really snappy editing style Mm -hmm. the like very distinctive directorial style Mm -hmm. has Edgar been a big influence for you or are there any other kind of big British filmmakers that have massively influenced your career? Yeah, I mean, I guess been so kind and supportive as well as being an influence because I just was so, um, I remember watching uh, Shaun of the Dead and thinking, wow, I've not seen a sort of British film recently that's really embraced comedy in this way but also has such a strong visual aesthetic and I just love how he uses the camera to like accentuate a joke it's not just about the dialogue he thinks about it as cinema and as kind of sound design and you know for me music is so important and like I so love the rhythm of his work and and thinking about when I approach my films it's like the rhythm in that the musicality between the scenes as well as within the scenes and I'm, I always sort of was so impressed by what he did and, and he's been so kind and supportive um, as I've been making this film as someone to reach out to and to speak to for advice because he's been through it when you're making a genre mashup and it's hard to to always it's not always easy to sell it and to to kind of put it into words so you know he's been a big influence and a really kind and supportive you know filmmaker friend mentor type figure as yeah, well absolutely. that's really nice to hear yeah. and um of course this is the biffa podcast and it's our 25th anniversary yes. are there any big british 
films that have had a huge impact for you personally yeah. or in your career? I mean, you know, it's interesting. Billy Elliot was one when I remember when I came to England for the first time from Singapore. It was one of the first British films I'd seen um, here. And I was so moved by like, again, honoring a sort of a young, a teenage character, a sort of a child and it being like centering the story. And again, I, I didn't know anything about you know the minor strikes in that world and the british history so that film not only like showed me so much about you know what it meant to be british but also was this incredible joyful movie and and you know i love the kind of more recent british films that are coming out again by my peers my friend my good friend aleem khan made his film after love that just cleaned up at last year's biffers it and did, it's just yeah, this incredible amazing. moving beautiful portrait and ode to his mother you know that really i just thought was such an excellent piece of work and also, again, another recent film, because I'm just loving my peeps who are coming through now, <laughs> Prano Bailey Bond's film Censor, which I thought was, again, like proper British, like 80s, oh, just, you know, horror inflected, just beautiful, thoughtful. And again, just on a lower budget, but just really maxing out like what you can do with that money and then making this incredibly just poignant and terrifying movie i loved it yeah no honestly <laughs> fantastic i think your films and your work will continue to be celebrated for just how you're portraying you know muslim women as being you know so nuanced and complex and most importantly funny oh, like really really funny <laughs> um you know lena and ria they both have uh, respectively these dreams of being a stunt woman and an artist mm. and that in itself just feels very kind of anarchic and it and it undermines those tropes that we've seen on screen yeah. so many times before when is the last time you saw you know like a very complex muslim representation on screen oh gosh the last time i saw it probably is the, the the one that comes to mind is aleem's film after love mm. you know the main character mary in that film she's a convert and she's like you know battling all these demons and i don't know i just think he brought her so vividly on screen joanna scanlon's performance is amazing in that that's one i look to you know and also like miss marvel i mean yeah. who knew that marvel would have like a muslim superhero like that was you know I, I read those comics and i was i just like gobbled it up i was like this is brilliant and then just to see it on screen my friend bisha k ali uh, wrote that I just thought she did a phenomenal job and that's such a joyful representation of like what it means to be also a young Muslim yeah woman. absolutely yeah because you were going to direct some of that weren't you but that yeah, was scheduling yeah you know Lady Parts was happening at, uh, around the same time but um, you know they, they smashed it I love that show yeah so it's much. amazing um, it's just because I think I, I've heard that you're a big fan of Queen yeah so I just wanted to ask which Queen song do you think best describes Rhea and which one best describes Lena oh my god I've got a couple if you need Oh, holy shit. I mean, I feel like We Are the Champions is Rhea's song because that's like, okay. she is like, yeah. I'm a badass. This is who I am. For Lena, ooh, I don't know. Something a bit more like sad girl. What what have you got? So for uh, I went for Don't Stop Me Now or I Want to Break Free. Oh, I Want to Break Free. Let's go it for felt, that one. It felt good. It felt that's right. And then I also went for Killer Queen for, um, for Rhea. Oh, I love Killer Queen. Because <laughs> I thought that was quite cool. No, that could be like the sister song. Killer Queen. Yeah, you're right. I Want to right. Break Free for Lena because that is... Oh, is that the music video where he's like dressed up as like in, in sort of women's clothing yeah, I, yeah, yeah. that it's music so video good. is iconic amazing thank you so much honestly massively appreciate it best of luck with everything hey. hope it all goes well thanks and, so um, much can't wait to see what you're going to do next thanks oh lovely to chat no it's been amazing thank you thank thanks you. so much ah oh, Karis excellent interview as always we'd expect nothing less from you but I mean a fabulous subject so I mean how do you go wrong thank you yeah it's so easy when you've got such great 
like source material to talk about. I had written so many questions down and to be fair, actually, I got through more than I thought. But yeah, we we definitely could have spoken for another hour. There was there was a lot to dig into. I love that, uh, you know, how kind of generous she seems as a collaborator. And I suppose that's one of the kind of wonderful thing that can happen in independent cinema. You're giving chances to people that don't have like huge franchises behind them. It's like a time where they can like discover people and discover like new things that they can do. A hundred percent. I think that she just spoke really intelligently about her own process, but also, her, you know, how she's got to where she is. She didn't go to film school. She really did work up the ranks to get to where she is. Even with this as a project, it was something that she wrote a decade ago and shopped around and around and around and got a hundred no's. And then, you know, with the success of We Are Lady Parts, it finally got greenlit. And yeah, she she just seems like someone who loves the collaborative process. I think that there's, as a writer and director, there's a lot of, there's an idea uh, from the outside that you're you know, you are steering the ship, but that you have to be an expert in every single area. And I really like the fact that she was talking about how much she could lean on all the other experts and all the other heads of department and how she met them all on her short film. And they've all pretty much stayed with her on this film as well. So yeah, she's a very, very cool person. Yeah. I mean, the whole kind of system that ends up paying it forward, because then it's like those people have now got a successful feature on their hands and they can go forward and make new, exciting stuff. Yeah, 100 percent. So I think, you you know, a short film is always such a labor of love. And yeah, it can seem a bit like, why why would we do this or what is the purpose of this? But I think that's that's a perfect example of actually how unbelievably valuable it can be. You know, even if that short film itself isn't recognized, the relationships that you build and the experience that you have will be invaluable in the next projects that you do so um no it's very cool uh, and i have to say I, I you know i have to confess that like of all the type of tiny genres of film coming of age is not one of my favorites at all <laughs> really <laughs> like, oh i love I like. it <laughs> no i like stand by me Okay. I like polite society mm-hmm. and I like her choice. I like Billy Elliot very much. It's a pretty irresistible movie. I mean, you can't go wrong with Billy Elliot. It's a fan favourite. No, I was very happy when she said Billy Elliot. <laughs> it does seem strange to me, though, that there is also that kind of particularly British thing of like, we make comedies about the minor strikes. Like, <laughs> like, I wonder if that kind of exists somewhere else in the world where it's just like, we took the, one of the most horrible things in living memory and made it twee. I think this is one of the ones that kind of struck the balance right for me in terms of Billy Elliot it it does feel like a genuinely like elegant film and as somebody that is actually also not that into ballet it convinced me that this was a dream worth pursuing and in terms of like launching careers it's kind of pretty incredible in retrospect because obviously Jamie Bell went on to be like a big star but also the stage musical I believe was how we got Tom Holland I mean yeah the stage show all of the songs written by Elton John became like a global phenomenon won Olivier's Tony's like it kind of did start a big cultural thing it was a, it was a really big deal I was quite surprised it came out in 2000 didn't it so I was pretty young at that point but I was surprised that it was Stevens uh, who was the director I was surprised that that was his his feature looking back on it now so and it's nice that I think that Nita chose another feature debut for for hers as well so um no it was very cool and people they just come right out of the gate and they just know how to do it it's funny because we talk sometimes about like that there is this lack of leading men and you know where are, where are kind of next generation of British leading men and where are they coming from and it does seem like they basically came from Billy Elliot Productions and the cast of Skins. And that's how we got them all. (laughs) 
guys. That you really hit the nail on the head there. Maybe we need to bring back skins. Maybe this is what we need to do. Where did it go? So sad. Where did it go? And who is making the next skins? I mean, maybe that is a kind of question that will become more difficult as the writer's strike reaches yeah, on. Yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really do think that that sort of meteoric rise is ahead for Priya Kansara. I mean, she, whatever a movie star quality it is, she, she just has it. She just dazzles on screen. She's so convincing as both kind of an action star, as a comedic force. And like, you know, she's just got this sort of really, really moving connection to her sister as well, which is so like stunningly performed. Completely agree. I I did ask whether or not they did chemistry reads because I was really taken aback by how kind of real that sisterhood bond felt on screen. And you're completely right. Apparently everyone was calling her Tom Cruise on set because she was doing all of her own stunts and was exuding ultimate movie star, you know, the persona. She just has it. Some people just have it, don't they? And your eyes are just constantly drawn to her and her performance, which is her comedic timing, but also... She does bring a lot of levels of nuance and empathy for that character and what she's going through and struggling with and that feeling of like losing a relationship with your sister. And so, no, she's she's great. She 100% is going to be doing big things after this, for sure. I mean, it's something that so kind of applies to like women of colour who like don't get the same opportunities as others. And you do think it's such a shame because like an actress like this could like not be seen for like the multifaceted dynamo <laughs> that she is. But like also, I mean, you were saying earlier about that she had to be so persistent to get this made and it's like that still there's these people at the top these powers that be that can't see kind of young muslim women in any kind of context outside of like what they've already been given then something like this comes along and it just smashes it (laughs) completely i mean complete hats off to nita because like she really is such a testament to persistence that persistence is key she had this idea she believed in this idea she kept going with it and then I know she said at one point you know she just had to give up it was in development with a bunch of different people and they all just kind of said look no it's not for us right now and she thought okay I guess this is it for me like this is the end of the road for this project I guess it's not going to get made so it it all really hinges on success doesn't it and like the opinions of audiences but once finally her work was out there and it resonated as you know of course it was going to with thousands if not millions of people across the globe people were like oh maybe we should actually give this girl a chance maybe we should give her a future debut so hats off to her for continuing to persist It's, it's incredibly difficult and gotta say it, I, I love it when you watch a film and you can just tell that the person behind it loves movies as well. Like to all of the little references yeah. to like, you know, to all these kind of fabulous Hong Kong action films to the Matrix. Felt like there was some Edgar Wright in there, but early Edgar Wright when he was still great. <laughs> it's almost like Tarantino-esque. Like this is like this is a filmmaker who just adores this medium. One thousand percent. It's such an homage to all the classics. And yeah, I think if you're a regular cinema goer there's so much to enjoy it's such a rich film but to the cinephiles they'll who will notice those really kind of delicate details and those little nods to all of the filmmakers it's such a satisfying watch it's yeah it's great the choreography is incredible and then on top of that then wearing these just opulent incredible costumes is just it's so kick-ass you're like yes just like want to scream at the screen yeah, I mean, it really does seem like a, a such a shame that nobody until now thought that like kung fu action at a 
beautiful Indian wedding would consist some of the <laughs> most incredible, just like balletic movements. These garments, now I look at them and I think like these are designed to fight in. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. I almost wanted to just go out to a shop and like buy something immediately. I was like, this is so beautiful. I loved it. Yeah. And that that's the the image actually that's on the on the um poster of the movie and it's yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. We're gonna go get ourselves some new outfits and go to a karate class and soon we will be <laughs> kicking ass just in the same way. If I could perfect that final move, life done, life complete, like yes, I can die a happy woman. Like I'd love that. <laughs> But, you know, also there's just something so lovely about as much as I am hesitant with coming of age films, just watching some young sparky kid with a dream like, and seeing that fulfilled. Like you kind of can't help but feel quite inspired by these sorts of things. Yeah. A kid with a suitcase and a dream. It's a tale as old as time. I think it's such a relatable thing. We've all had that journey of, of discovering ourselves and our passions in adolescence. And yeah, and I think that especially polite society and the way it infuses like Bollywood music and the musicality mixed with that kind of Edgar Wright-esque directorial editing style, it, it's just really great. And, you know, obviously similarly with with Billy Elliot, its use of musicality and yeah, his passion for dance to kind of express that is really is really interesting. So there's definitely some some overlapping themes between these two films. Well, not least smashing the patriarchy in some ways. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> Though I suppose in uh, Billy Elliot, it's kind of the sort of toxic masculine expectations, but then also a little bit Thatcher. So I don't know if she's technically the, that is that might be the matriarchy. But <laughs> mm, yeah, it's complex that one. Yeah, we'll dig into that a little more. <laughs> but toxic masculinity for sure. Yeah, I believe I once read Nita describe it as a it's a film with violence about the small violence that happens to women's bodies every day, and yeah. I read that like two months ago and I'm still thinking about it. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't seen that. That's really interesting. I like that a lot. Yeah. And, you know, personally, as somebody who, um, you know, I'm from North African origin. So I am very familiar with the torture of being waxed. So to see that being uh, put on screen was like very refreshing. To like just have a moment of just like, yeah, it really does hurt. Honestly, that was one of my favorite scenes. And it's because it's so funny, but it's so relatable. And she, again, just tonally perfect. It was, yeah, you know, so many, so many of us have been through that experience and waxing is not fun. And I, I yeah, I really like that she used it as this really kind of funny but torturous device. I thought it was really great. I know you're not much of a horror fan. I'm an absolute um, obsessive and I can sit through like the hardcore torture porn, like horrific stuff. I closed my eyes for that waxing scene. It was too close to home. Stop it. Triggering. It's too triggering. Wow. That is so interesting. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm such a wimp. I, it's really embarrassing, but yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, you can't help but kind of like have the little eye twitch as soon as you like watch the watch the wax go on. You're like, oh, I know how this ends. God, the things we go through as <laughs> as women, as cinema fans, <laughs> like it's a uh, you know, it's just very exciting to see some reasons to be hopeful for the future. I mean, what an absolute talent this woman is, and I've just adored her film. Yeah. 
Me too. I cannot wait to see what she does next. I mean, actually, one thing I should have asked her is um, if there's going to be a second season of We Are Lady Part. Is that on the oh. horizon? I should I should look into that. I hope so. I, I mean, hope so. It's so good. Yeah, I, that was a uh, yeah. No, that has it's been a while, but yes, I hope that she's able to kind of. Well, I don't want her to overexert herself, but spread yourself very thin. You know, <laughs> work weekends. We want more films, and we want another season. <laughs> She's definitely on my watch list now. So anything and everything that's coming out with her name attached, I will be there. And if the Biffers come around soon and that Rising Star Award is not going to Priya, I will be rioting in the aisles. Agreed. So for anyone who managed to miss Billy Elliot or uh, miss Polite Society, there is good news, is there not, Karen? So we can, these things are available? There is indeed. The internet is a wonderful place. And (laughs) for that reason, (laughs) 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 for this particular thing, it is. And so, yeah, if you haven't caught Billy Elliot and you want to watch it, you can uh, catch it online. Pretty much any store you can pay to watch it. So Sky, Apple TV, Amazon Video, and you can pay to rent it. And similarly, Polite Society is available DVD and Blu-ray release date from June the 20th and on Amazon Video and iTunes from the 16th of May. So enjoy. Yes, I can kind of cast myself into the future when this gets booked out and hear hear the sound of a a million double bills being set up because that would be a great one. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) Biffa celebrates, promotes and supports independent filmmaking and filmmakers in the UK. Keep up to date with the latest releases and exciting names in an independent film by following Biffa on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube and Twitter. This podcast was produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.